0: Four Metrics to Consider When Measuring ROI From Organic Search With Charlie Whitworth The InSearch SEO Podcast is brought to you by SimilarWeb Helping you build better SEO strategies with digital intelligence, insights and data Hey, it's David Is it possible to measure the ROI from your organic search performance? And if so, what metrics should you be using? That's what we're discussing today with an experienced digital marketing expert who has a decade of technical SEO and content marketing experience. He's the former Organic Search Director at Bank Digital and founder at Whitworth SEO. A warm welcome to the InSearch SEO podcast, Charlie Whitworth. Hello. Hello. Hey, Charlie, thanks so much for joining us. We can find Charlie over at WhitworthSEO.com. So today, Charlie, you're sharing four metrics to consider when measuring ROI from organic search, starting off with number one, accurate forecasting.
1: Yeah, so I think the forecasting part, you know, is the the most reliable way to measure the ROI. I think one of the considerations is whether or not you're working on an e-commerce project or if you're not working on an e-commerce project, the um, ROI can be really difficult to gauge because you don't really have that sales data. But when you've got, you know, conversion, AOV and sales data, then I I feel like you can project that ROI quite reliably. Um, You know, simple equation of of investment, um, you know, converted leads and then taking away that investment level. So yeah, for e-commerce, I wouldn't say it's easy, but you know, there's tangible metrics there you can use to make that calculation. I've developed a, a fairly manual process over the years of, you know, very much in terms of increased traffic sessions, that um, click-through rate conversion rate and then using AOV, you can, can kind of project that and then obviously you'll get your final figures from, from performance. But yeah, where it does get tricky is when you don't have that conversion data and you're working with, say, like a brochure site or it's inquiries rather than actual sales where it can get a little bit more difficult. But yeah, accurate forecasting is, is still short, it is still at the crux of, of, um, of that ROI.
0: And why is it generally easier for e-commerce? Is it because sales cycles tend to be shorter or is it because you've got much more data?
1: Just much more data. Uh, you know, no forecast is perfect and I, I shouldn't have thought uh, any ROI modelling is completely perfect to, to to the pound. But it will give you certainly an indication of, of if you are getting return on investment and and, and to some extent, to, to, to what extent. But yeah, if, you, if you're if you not working in e-commerce and it's, as I say, if you're measuring inquiries, you still don't know. After that inquiry what how the company monetized that you know the inquiry could fall flat at some point through the through the business, or it could just be that that inquiry is you know a kind of a weak or a duff lead so at least with ecom you know it's money in the bank from that from that session
0: and how does this um relate to intent uh, i mean do you have different keyword phrases that you map to different levels of intent different stages of intent uh, and and therefore perhaps um Presume that they're earlier or later on in the funnel.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the the things that GA4 definitely has helped with is being able to to segment that that intent in terms of the landing page that came through, and you've got cross channel as as a kind of as a source now in GA, which helps with that. But yes, certainly, you know, traffic coming through to a blog article that's coming through an informational intent search, you know, you can look at lifetime value, and if they've come back and converted at a later stage. But certainly, if you're looking at ROI from, from organic, we're looking at those, those transactional um, intent queries, yeah. And obviously, that's a lot easier to segment these days.
0: And what are your general thoughts on attribution nowadays?
1: Yeah, again, I think GA4, a lot of people have loved to hate it. I think it, I'm starting to get used to it now. And in terms of attribution, there's a lot more functionality there. But again, you know, if we're looking at ROI from SEO versus, say, paid, for instance, this cross-channel metric has helped a lot in terms of being able to work out you know, first click, last click. And I think again, yeah, I, I, again, I don't think any attribution modeling is perfect, but certainly compared to, to, to back in the day, there was a lot more functionality there available, which is what one of my other metrics to look at is if you're able to to um, get organic performance to a point where you're relying less on paid search, that's got to contribute to the ROI um, modeling for organic, because if you're spending less on your clicks, um, because you're getting that free traffic, as it were, from organic, then... That that's part of the RI from SEO because you're obviously not having to spend so much on paid ads.
0: And the second metric that you're keen to focus on is considering lifetime value. So do you do that for every type of business?
1: Um, so again, you know, coming from an a kind of e-commerce background, that lifetime value is a lot easier to, seg- to, to segment and to monitor. Um, so no, I mean, I, I'm sure it is possible for, for other kind of platforms, but lifetime value from an e-commerce perspective is a lot, a lot easier. To gauge. That's where the ROI becomes a lot trickier for non-e-commerce campaigns, I believe, because, you know, trying to track that lifetime value of a customer that says coming through an informational search that may have made an inquiry on the site and then you get that black hole. I feel like that that's really hard to determine. So no, it would prob- probably just be for e-commerce campaigns where I'm looking at that.
0: And I've had a few conversations recently about the importance of um, having Decent conversations with the C suite. So, um, SEO managers being able to actually talk in the language that the C suite appreciates. And um, yeah. l- I guess lifetime value could be that. I mean, are the C suite open to lifetime value when trying to define the value of a, an SEO activity? Or would they rather see immediate ROI?
1: But I think it, it depends on the brand and how, how kind of um, how savvy and how supportive of the channel that that, that client are. You know, I've got clients who are, you know, very, very big on the lifetime value and laser focusing on that and they'll they'll appreciate that. Let's get the sessions in and let's nurture that, that customer. But in terms of the C-suites, I haven't had a lot of experience working with the C-suite kind of clients. So in terms of their attitudes to that, I'm not sure, but from the kind of mid range e-commerce clients that I work with that, that lifetime value piece is something that, that, um, they're very keen on nurturing. Yeah.
0: And briefly, I mean, how do you calculate lifetime value? Do, do you, for instance, look at uh, a previous cohort of similar users and use that uh, as a as a way to determine what the likely lifetime value is of a new user?
1: Absolutely, yeah. And that's where the collaboration between teams, I mean, data analysts are usually um, on hand to help with that. You know, as I say, GA4's functionality now does allow to, 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 a lot more accurate analysis of that. And obviously your attribution modeling has to be spot on Whether you're not using native stuff in GA4 or if you're using you know, something like Supermetrics or something, another third-party tool to help with that attribution modeling. So yeah, I think it, the cohort um, aspect of GA4 now compared to UA is obviously a lot more, is a, is a, I think it's is a, is a lot more insightful.
0: Is there a tendency just to build bespoke attribution models nowadays or um, is it reasonable to, to, to start off with a standard model?
1: Again, I think the out of the box on, on GA4, it gives you some good insight. And I think that's where SEO, we uh, need, need to collaborate with data analysts and data scientists and, and to really kind of get stuck into that data. I think out of the box on, on a fairly medium to, to respectable level data set, it does give you good insight. But if you're t- talking about a hundreds of, hundreds of thousand URLs, big traffic websites, um, yeah, I think it is reasonable then to, to want to manipulate that data a little bit more and not just use the out of the box reports.
0: And the third metric that you want to focus on is cash saved from paid. What does that mean?
1: So yeah, just kind of what I touched on previously, really. So yeah, you've got your very simple ROI metrics of what we're spending and then what we're what we're making from from or organic in terms of sales and revenue. You know, which can give you a quite crude top line view of of ROI. But there's a few things that I've mentioned that. It's really hard to, to attribute, but are worth bearing in mind. One of them is that cash safe and paid. So if organic visibility and traffic to commercial pages organically, because you're suddenly ranking first, second, third in the organic search is so strong that you then don't need to invest in those clicks. From a paid search perspective, that increases the ROI of SEO because you are not only getting extra traffic and sales through the organic channel, but you're not spending as much on paid ads. So that that obviously shifts that ROI from paid search to too organic, uh, which saved it there. And then a few of the others that I mentioned, which is like investment and in things like digital PR and tools and things where it's really, really hard to then say, right, well, that, that money has chipped away at the ROI because you don't know exactly what impact that's had, you know, how, how, how valuable is a link, a backlink or how valuable is a, a piece of coverage? It all helps that SEO effort and could well be promoting your rankings. But that's where a few of those things become a little bit blurred really and, and become quite hard to attribute perfectly but in terms of the cash save and paid I think that's an important one you know I've, I've been I've had that conversation with a lot of clients where they're like well we're first and second now for these terms we don't need to be paying for those clicks which you know has saved them quite a lot of money.
0: And has that been good advice I, I mean is there value in appearing first and paid and first and organic as well?
1: Yeah I mean this, sometimes the clients are waiting but like, right let's turn that off and a lot of the time it's has not hasn't been prudent? I, I think, again, it depends on the spend and what it is, you know, if, if it's a fairly marginal gain in terms of the spend, then is it worth risking it or, but you know, if that CPC is considerable, then, you know, it, it's definitely worth considering, um, in my experience, it, you know, if you're first in, and if they've had that first click on last, first click on and last click on organic, that's not necessarily a bad thing. The client's usually happy to, to get that conversion. But again, it does depend on the CPCs for that particular keyword, doesn't it? So
0: in your experience, are SEOs currently working more effectively with paid search teams or is there a bit of a struggle, a bit of a um, <laughs> headbutting sometimes still between the two teams?
1: I think it's still exactly how it always has been, which is we love to collaborate. And, you know, I usually go on very well with, with paid search teams. I mean, my, one of my best friends are, are, are paid search and I work alongside them a lot of the time. And, you know, we do little love to have our conversation with clients where SEO and PPC live harmoniously but at the end of the day if we're going to be reducing their click spend or their activity or vice versa then you know there's going to be sometimes it's going to get a little bit contentious but i think we all like to collaborate but we all like to make sure that it doesn't impact our activity too much but you know sometimes it can be an awkward conversation
0: something else that you said that um, i found quite interesting was you're talking about um, the 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 value of links and it made me think um uh, perhaps um Outreach teams need to do a better job with actually determining the lifetime value of driving traffic and more prominent rankings to a particular piece in order to actually define the amount of money that's appropriate to pay for a piece on another side. Um, Let's not necessarily say links, but uh, should outreach teams do a better job of actually considering lifetime value before deciding how much budget they should be spending?
1: Uh, I think so. It's hard to say that in a critical way because, you know, uh, a lot of the digital PR guys I work with are amazing and great at getting coverage and they could come from a more of a PR background, but they want to see that SEO impact because you know that that's what they like to deliver. But it's such a hard thing to determine to say, right, this link, sorry, this piece of coverage on site is worth this amount of money to you because I think a lot of the digital PRs are PRs are hard and not SEOs. Therefore, they're interested in that coverage and the direct traffic and the brand awareness. And rightly so, because that's what works. Perhaps that's actually more on, more the onus on the SEOs to work with the digital to say, right, actually, this piece of coverage has been really effective SEO-wise and and, and help them to determine that. But um, something that I've struggled with over the last year from running my own agency is educating the client on the ROI of digital PR. Because I'll say to them, right, you know, We've got the site technically sound. We've mapped the content. We've got an authority issue here. We need to get going with digital PR. And when they asked me how about the ROI from that, I mean, cause I, am not a digital PR expert, I, I find that conversation really difficult. I'm sure the bigger agencies out there have got a really good out of the box kind of, um, solution or piece of commentary to try and tell that story. Um, and we know that it does provide ROI. The ROI is not that it doesn't, it's just what, how, how much and, and how can you quantify that? which can be quite a hard conversation to have with a client that doesn't have, you know, 10 grand a month to spend on digital PR campaigns, but needs that authority.
0: Yeah, it, it depends on, obviously, the piece of content that's being produced, but we're in the overarching kind of content mic- marketing or content cycle that that content p- piece sits in in order to actually be able to actually determine a helpful ROI then, I guess.
1: Yeah, and it's for how long as well, you know, how long does that does that link or that piece of coverage have impact for, you know, I mean, as SOTAs will we'll say, you know, as long as that link is live, it will be passing some level of authority to the site. But as we see now, you know, links that aren't necessarily crawlable, they're buried in a the site, they get old or stale, you know, will will start to have less impact. So that ROI from that piece of coverage then starts to wane. So it, it, with all those factors, it becomes an almost impossible thing to to put an actual number on, so apart from that we know it does provide ROI because without the coverage and links that you would just, you would hit that glass ceiling, wouldn't you?
0: And the fourth area that you want to focus on is get to granular. So what do you mean by that?
1: So yeah, another way to gauge the ROI is sometimes to look on a project-based. So I've worked with on this basis with a few clients. It does have its downsides because sometimes you'll implement something and it won't have the impact that you thought, or Google's taking a long time to honor it, or it just could be a tactic that's become less effective. But for instance, if I'm doing a big URL restructure for a client, they'll ask me, right, well, as a project, what, what kind of impact is it going to have? And, you know, you can base it on, on when you've implemented it from previous campaigns, you can base it on, you know, your understanding of the algorithm at the time, but, but you can can project, do a bit of forecasting based on that piece of what you're going to do to say, right, well, I would expect on a very rough level for this to have this impact on rankings and then start to project some, in some, do some forecasting and project some ROI on that basis. That can help to get things through, can help, you know, to get sign off so that the client will actually go ahead with that, with that implementation as well. So instead of looking site-wide, right, you know, SEO is going to have this amount of impact on your site ROI wise, it can be easy to break it down into those kind of big win kind of implementations that we will know have impact that we, we know over the years. So yeah, looking at URL structure, looking at title tags, looking at content mapping or content cluster implementation, looking at resolving cannibalization, perhaps you can look at those individual things and start to project some ROI from, from those individual tasks.
0: Well, let's finish off with the Pareto Pickle. Pareto says that you can get 80% of your results from 20% of your efforts. What's one SEO activity you would recommend that provides incredible results for modest levels of effort?
1: Well, I think, you know, what I'm going to say it's one I've spoken about before, but the, um, on, on large scale sites, having a look at your keyword cannibalization and, and perhaps looking at a, a prune of your content for engagement. Have you got content competing of each other? Have you got too much content on the same topic? We well, you know the core updates recently have, have focused on, you know, especially through the helpful content update and the recent core updates on that EEAT and quality. So I think reviewing content that's competing and content experience and looking at utilizing that for the recent core updates is a quick win.
0: Okay, and in terms of content that's competing, identify the piece of content that I guess you don't want ranking, and ideally put three or one that to the other piece of content.
1: Uh, So again, it's not a a one-size-fits-all solution. Sometimes that content may want to stay on the site. The the client may want to keep it on the website for whatever reason, but you don't want it competing with another piece of content. In that instance, I would no-index it. If you know it's historic and it's weak and it's fairly sparse and lower quality, then yeah, I would just 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 really want it and get get it off the site. So yeah, for low quality spammy or over-optimized historic stuff, get rid, let's get it redirected. If it's borderline, but, you know, it's competing with other content and creating that cannibalization, then just just like just, a no-index tag on there.
0: I've been your host, David Bain. You can find Charlie Whitworth over at WhitworthSEO.com. Charlie, thanks so much for being on the In Search SEO podcast. No problem. And thank you for listening. Check out all the previous episodes and sign up for a free trial of the SimilarWeb platform over at SimilarWeb.com.